Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Good morning. I'm the other pastor here at PCTR if we haven't had the chance to meet. And um, it's my pleasure to to, um, be coming to the end of our sermon series. We we come to the last part of chapter 5, which is the close of this letter. We've been in this sermon series where we've been talking about letters to friends and um, how that practice has kind of fallen on hard times, and um, I don't know if you've taken this opportunity to perhaps actually write out a letter to a friend, but it's a good thing to do. And um, along the way, we've been looking over the shoulder of those Uh, the church in Thessalonica and receiving the words that Paul had for them and has for us. And we're coming to the close. We're coming to the end. And endings can be difficult things. They can be difficult things for letters. They can be difficult things for TV shows or or movies. Um, There are some some movies that I was thinking about as I was going through this that have some kind of much debated endings. Uh, It includes Titanic, Citizen Kane with the sled, the rosebud on the fire, the Planet of the Apes, the 2001 version, or even Greece. Um, some of those endings just did not land well. And it can be a challenge whether you're, you're doing a, a, a movie or a, a show or writing a letter. Sometimes you come to the end and you find that you're out of time or you're out of paper and you're, you're realizing you haven't even covered some things. And, um, and you might have like a laundry list of things to cover. And, and honestly, if you look at the end of some of Paul's letters, it looks a little bit like that, that there's a little bit of a rush at the end, like, oh, there's this, there's this important thing and that important thing, and oh, greet this person and greet these people and, you know, bring these people back. And it, it feels like that. And as we come to the end of 1 Thessalonians, it's tempting to think that, but I really do think that Paul actually has an intention as he's coming here, and he really is talking about how to live as a Christ-centered church and how to lean into that and how to interact with the community, how to interact within the church, how to pastors and the congregations can interact, and, um, and it really gives us some really helpful first steps, some first practices to lean into that. Sometimes in Scripture, our, uh, what's given to us can be an absolutely beautiful thing, and I appreciate how everything's not necessarily always spelled out, that there's some openness for us to bring our own creativity and the uniqueness of our own lives to find a way forward. I think that Micah passage that we heard earlier is one of those examples that um, where it talks about um, acting justly and loving mercy and walking humbly. Those are good things, and we should be doing those things, but you might ask, okay, so what does that look like? What exactly does that look like? And even as Pat talked about it, she brought up another biblical story to kind of... 
describe how to live that out. And that was all kind of leading into our offering as a real and practical way to live things out. And I think we need sometimes some best practices, some things that can help us on this journey that God is calling us into. And so I really think that's what we have in our passage today. And so it talks about, just to let you know, uh, church leadership. It talks about the fellowship within the church as well as the church's public worship. So I just encourage you to think about that as we hear our passage today, this last passage out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. Listen for God's word for us. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, Pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be here and open up this passage to us. That you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to our minds, to all that we are, that we might come to know and love you more and more. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this first part of this passage, it talks about pastors and their relationships with the congregation. And it feels a little awkward, like this could be a little self-serving or something like that, but I didn't write this and, and I didn't choose this. It, it just came up naturally, okay? So I, I, I want to just dispel that um, right now, but it, it talks about acknowledging pastors and, um, and the work that they have to do. And um, there is kind of this pendulum swing that's happened through the church um, through church history, where sometimes pastors are uh, seen as less important and perhaps um, just extra. And, and, and there's a focus on the priesthood of all believers um, and, and a lack of need um, in the people's minds for a pastor. On the opposite swing of that pendulum 
is the idea that that uh, pastors are um, the highest authority and to be treated like popes and princes and deferred to in all cases. And I think what Paul is laying out for us is neither of those extremes, but um, a balanced view. A balanced view that, that pastors should be acknowledged, but there are expectations of them and a recognition of what the work is that they do. And our passage literally lays out some of that. It says to look to the hard work they are doing, recognizing them because they work hard. And... Um, it is true that pastors do work more than just Sundays, and we have our Saturday services here. There is much that goes on, and it can be challenging. It can be physically and mentally, emotionally, and, and spiritually challenging as we seek to minister um, in a variety of different ways to the church, to the community, um, in, in a variety of different um, ways. It, and it, it is a, it can be a, cha- honestly, it can be a challenging ministry, a challenging calling. And it's a calling where our passage says that they are, pastors are to um, care for you in the Lord. And it's not Lord over, it's not a dominate, but it's a caring ministry. And when I hear this, it reminds me of Jesus with his disciples the night before he went to the cross, the night of the Last Supper. He sets an example for them. He, he washes their feet. And Peter, one of his disciples, um, he's like, oh, no, I, Lord, I, I don't want you to want this is Pastor Christian paraphrase, I don't want you to wash my feet. Um, this doesn't feel right. But Jesus says, no. Um, if you're going to be a part of me, you need to let me wash your feet. And um, he also explains that this is a model for you, that this is how you are to serve, that pastors, that leaders of his people need to be servant leaders. And we lead by serving. And hence, we are called to care for, for um, people in the Lord. There are also those who, uh, there's also the part that Paul mentions here, that admonish you. And this, we don't hear quite as much about this these days, but it is an aspect that pastors are supposed to do. Admonish would speak to ethics, and it has to do with warning against bad behavior, as well as to talk about how to come back to the path that um, God has called us to, and even in case, some cases exhibit discipline for those who have done wrong. And um, it's, it's an important role because the, the, people are ex- the pastors are expected to help the people of God to walk in the path that they have been um, called into. My mind goes to a passage in Hosea, Hosea the prophet in the Old Testament. He is bringing charges against God's people. He is, in some sense, God's mouthpiece and saying, basically, people, you are far from God. And he lists all these details. It's almost like a legal document. I have this against you, and there's this, and there's that. And he's talking about the people of God um, generally, but then he stops and he turns to the religious leaders to the priests, and he says, I hold you, basically, and even um, I have greater charges against you because you know. 
You knew and you let this situation happen. You should have been letting the people know. You should have been correcting them. And in the midst of that, he describes those leaders, of the religious leaders, as something I think is kind of funny. It's an image of that of a half-baked cake. A half-baked cake. And I don't imagine that he's thinking of uh, what we use for, uh, like an American birthday cake or something like that. It's probably something closer to a pancake. Um, and a pancake that's only cooked on one side, right? You don't just cook one side of a pancake and put it on your plate and start eating. I mean, I don't know, at least not in my house. I don't know what it's like at your house. Even if we flip it over and he makes it all the way to our plate and you cut it open and it's still liquid inside, not pleasant. And this, this is kind of the image that God is using for people who are supposed to be leading God's people, that um, if they do not do what they're called to do, that they are a half-baked cake. And so we have this image, and, and Paul kind of rounds this out and says that um, uh, the congregation should hold them in highest regard and love for their work. And so it's this balanced view. Again, as I was talking about before, it's not that, that um, pastors should be despised, um, neither should they um, be flattered or fawned on, but a balanced view. Uh, in, in a way to move forward so that the next part, that we all might be able to live in peace together. Live in peace with each other, which is a beautiful thing. I, I love being here at PCTR because I think there is a sense of peace here in the church. So much so that you're, there's even a willingness to try different things and do a red letter challenge or worship outside or do a variety of different things because there's a peace and there's a trust and, um, and willing to kind of go forward. And that is wonderful. From there, having talked about the pastor-congregation relationship, Paul moves on to something else, and it's how the church itself, the, the members, how they relate, the general fellowship, because it's not all on pastors that we as Christians together are challenged to come together and live um, out at, in a Christ-like manner. And so he speaks to this, and, he, and, and Paul singles out three groups that need some attention. He mentions those who are idle, who have not been doing all that they could, that they have not been doing work to be able to provide for themselves and provide for others out of the abundance. Work is not to define who we are, but it is part of what we're called to do. In the first few chapters of Genesis, if you read it, you can see there's actually, work comes before the fall, before humans sin. And, um, and those first humans are called to participate in that, in the care of the garden, and to go about and doing certain things. It's only when the fall, when humans sin, that work transforms, and it's said that going forward, it's going to be by the sweat of our brow that we will now work and toil. And work is transformed. But work is part of what we're called to do. We are to rest from our work, uh, hence the Sabbath, but um, we are called to work and not be idle. And so there are those that can be idle, and that can be a challenge for a, a local church. There are those that are disheartened. 
that can be upset. As we've seen in this letter to the, this first letter to the Thessalonians, that there are those that were worried about their loved ones that had passed away. And for them and more, there's this concern for the disheartened. And then there's also the weak, the weak who struggle to do what God has called us to do. There's a passage in chapter 4 where it talks about people are really struggling with um, their personal walk and their personal behavior. And this is a reality. Every church has some different groups that can be a challenge. But Paul singles these out, and I think we can think as a local church that there's groups that challenge us, but he says this. Be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. And he's basically saying, hold on to them. Cling to them. Put your arm around them. And he's letting us know that just because these people um, might be idle or disheartened or weak, just because they might be demanding or disappointing, argumentative, or even rude, we are called to hold fast to them, to be patient with them, always loving them. And, uh, and I think this is important for families. Uh, it's important for churches. I want to just single out, though. It's important for families. It's important for youth ministry. It's important that young people, we all mess up, young people mess up, but they need to know that it's safe to come back to the family, that it's safe to come back to the church, that the church will be patient with them as God exhibits patience with us. We have all received patience from God, and we need to let young people know it's safe to come back even after you've messed up. Because um, if they don't, um, the, the likelihood that young people can turn away from their family and turn away from the church and subsequently turn away from God is a real rea- reality. And um, we need to hold fast and hear this word to be patient. Not to just o- overlook, but be patient with them and calling them and beckoning them and loving them all the way. And so Paul talks about this in the church and how it can conduct itself. And then he speaks not just of the church internally, but also how it it conducts itself, the members of the church conducts itself um, with the world at large. And it says this, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. And basically it speaks to vengeance. And we're not called to seek revenge. The Bible again and again talks about how vengeance is the Lord's. But I'll tell you, it's hard. When something happens to us and, um, and we, there's this kind of broken human desire to seek vengeance. I was thinking about this from another movie from a while ago called The Untouchables. You remember The Untouchables with Sean Connery and um, Kevin Costner? It's about the story of Elliot Ness going to Chicago and trying to deal with um, the gangs there. And Sean Connery's character, who's kind of a a mentor to the Elliot Ness character, um, he says this. You want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife. You pull a gun. He sends one of you to the hospital, you send one of them to the morgue. That's the Chicago way, and that's how you get Capone. So that's dramatic for a movie, and that might be the Chicago way. I know I've I've lived near Chicago, Um, but that's not Jesus' way for our personal 
affairs. That's not what we are to seek. Vengeance is not ours. Vengeance is the Lord. We have a God who knows all. Nothing slips past his attention. No one can pull a fast one on God. God sees. God knows. He knows the action. He knows the heart. He knows the mind. Nothing gets past him. And he will be a fair and just God. And we need to leave space for God to sort that out. Jesus himself talked about this on the Sermon on the Mount, where he talked about an eye for an eye and, and, um, and talked about uh, also turning the cheek. We're called to turn the cheek and allow space um, for God to work in those situations. And Paul is picking that idea up that we need to not seek wrong for wrong, but instead always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So that's part of how the church fellowship should conduct itself within and as we interact with others. That would be a challenging word for the Thessalonians. We brought this up a couple of times, how the Thessalonians have been facing persecution. In fact, it was so bad. It got so bad for Paul that Paul had to leave after just short, three short weeks. Um, it became so intense, and, and to not cause problems for this uh, baby church, he moved on to remove himself from being the lightning rod that he was. And the, the Thessalonians seem to continue to face uh, persecution. And so that's a challenging word, but made possible through, um, through the example of Paul reflecting Christ's, Christ's message and Christ's life. Jesus did not act out of vengeance. He did not raise his hand when he was abused um, in, in the journey to the cross. He willingly laid down his life not paying back wrong for wrong. In fact, even from the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So then we, dealing with that, we move to worship and how to go about worship. And um, uh, some people take this as that it's personal, that where he says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. But if you look closely, it seems that there's actually a, a collective nature to it, that we are to rejoice always. And, and, and that's not just to say we need to force our emotions. It, 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 we may not always be in a happy place, but when we come together and we worship, there should be a spirit of rejoicing. Even on the most difficult of days and the most sour of days, there can be a rejoicing. And we are called to do that. We are called to pray continually. Uh, pray um, not just for ourselves, but for others, and we do that together. The Lord's Prayer that we just said a few minutes ago actually leads us in that, that we should be praying corporately because we say, give us, forgive us, as we lead us, deliver us. We are the Lord's Prayer. You can say it on your own, and that is a good thing, but it is set up that we as a church would be praying that together. And as we do, we pray, as we hear Robbie lifting up a variety of different things, we need to remember to pray for 
our church members, but also the church and the church throughout the world, its mission, its faithfulness to God's word, and, um, and how that might go out. We're called to pray for our nation and our government. We're called to pray for a just, free, and compassionate, and sharing society. Call for, called to pray for world mission for our ministry partners and more, for those where the, the, min, the mission is going to places that are especially resistant to the gospel. We're called to pray for peace and for justice, for environmental stewardship, for the poor, the oppressed, the hungry, and the sick. Prayer is a powerful thing. And um, I love that PCTR is so committed to it that we actually have a prayer team. We have different prayer manifestations. There's the men's prayer group, um, but we also have the prayer team. It's 32 people that have committed themselves to prayer and lifting up prayers. And not all 32, but many of them get together weekly and offer a kind of prayer service. And you can put your prayer requests out there. Um, Candy Peterson is kind of the point person for the prayer team. But if you have a prayer concern, bring it to them. They're lifting them up all the time. And if you feel called to prayer ministry, I encourage you to talk to me or Candy, um, or we can connect you with some information, and that you can join those 32 people in praying and lifting up concerns. But we continue to pray. pray. Uh, we're encouraged by Paul to give thanks in all circumstances. Again, a difficult challenge in times of um, of uh, persecution, but he calls us to it. And we're called to listen to the word. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves and acts. In the early church, there seemed to be words offered, uh, words of prophecy. And Paul says to not uh, uh, quench or squelch. It's this idea of a fire and putting out the fire. Don't put out the Holy Spirit. Test it. Check and see if what is being said matches up with, um, with Scripture. Um, there, there's a variety of different tests that can be offered. Paul doesn't go into this, but does the prophecy match up with Scripture? The divine human person of Jesus, the gospel's free and saving grace through Christ, the known character of the speaker, and the degree to which it is said that it builds up the church. If a word of prophecy is to be offered, it should build up the church. These tests are found in Scripture, but we're to test what is being said, and if it's evil, let it go. If it, what is good, keep. Allow space for the Holy Spirit to move and act in our worship. That we can use regular forms and regular um, uh, liturgy, and we can try to end at certain times and things like that, but we also should make room for what the Holy Spirit is doing. We should anticipate that the Holy Spirit would speak to us in these times. And um, after speaking about these things, Paul, having talked about pastor-congregation relationship, the fellowship, and worship, he, he really does come to the end of the letter, and he asks God to help the people on their continued sanctification to be more like Jesus. Um, he mentions God's faithfulness, and he asks the Thessalonians to pray for him. As he prays for them, he asks for their prayer. Prayer can unite us. And then he says this funny thing. It, it probably sounds funny to our ears. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 
right? I, I, we don't do that. But there, there was a time. Do you remember when we used to shake hands at the beginning of a service? It might seem like a, a long time ago. Um, but we used to do that. That was a thing. And, um, but it, the idea is that there's a greeting. Maybe it's an embrace. It's a handshake. Um, they had a, a holy kiss. The idea is it, it represents a closeness. And that we as Christians are called into a family. We're called into God's family. Because a kiss, a, you know, a handshake, an embrace is something that can happen inside a family. And, and that's what it is. It's a symbolic gesture to say that we are a part of the family. And he ends with uh, best wishes in Christ through grace. And I love this because Paul ends, uh, he ends exactly where he began. And the, I don't know if you remember, it's been a few weeks, but the very first verse of First Thessalonians, first he says who and what, but then he says this at the end of that first verse, um, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. That's in the very first verse. And then here we are at the end. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Grace and grace. What makes it possible? The ministry, to standing up to persecution, to being the light, to being the church, to being able to connect with others and not paying back wrong for wrong. How is that possible? through grace. It's through grace that we have in God. We have something amazing. We have something wonderful. We can never earn it. There's nowhere you can go to get it. There, um, there's nothing that you can do about yourself to earn a relationship with God in the same way. It's through grace, through the person of Christ who um, offers us the opportunity of a new relationship with God a new relationship with each other, a new relationship with ourselves. It's through grace that we might be transformed and that all of this is possible. And it's so beautiful that it begins and ends with grace. May our day be filled with his grace as we continue on in today and the days ahead. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for practical ways that we might connect with one another. You give us high callings, but you also show us some first steps. Lord, help us to more and more never be stagnant, but more and more move towards what it is that you call us to do, being transformed along the way. And all this through grace, amazing grace, amazing grace. We thank you for your grace. We, we don't deserve it, but we we cherish it. It transforms us. Lord, help us to be transformed. And we thank you through your Son who makes this possible, Jesus. Amen.